Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Well, I don't know if we're going to talk about spirituality in the conventional sense today because there's such interesting stuff on the go and in the news and I thought we had no choice but to talk about it because as Jewish people we're supposed to learn something from whatever it is that we see or hear. So welcome, nice to be with you Thursday afternoon as we approach the mega holiday of Pesach. I know that there's some friends here, but maybe you're doing your Pesach cleaning and listening to the radio at the same time. Maybe you're doing your Pesach shopping while you're tuned in. Anyway, whatever it is that you're doing, you can certainly participate as always on the show. It's you who drives the conversation at the end of the day. Here are your channels of communication. You could use the good old t- telephone, 34519, if you'd like to send an SMS. There's that great new app, if you like the Russians. Telegram, 0618951019. And, of course, social media, as always. You can post on the Chai FM Facebook page. You can tweet us at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabashish. Choose your channel of communication. Because I thought today we would talk about... What everybody seems, well, I don't know if everybody's talking about it, but it certainly grabbed some airtime, at least in some people's lives. And that is the story of the British monarchy, you know, with all the allegations coming out and how they treated Harry and Meghan and all that kind of thing. It just got me thinking, um, certainly not going to be here as some kind of a royal commentator or, or some kind of a tabloid. But it did get me thinking, because as Jewish people, we are supposed to learn something from everything that we see and everything that we hear about. And the bigger the story, probably the bigger the lesson. So the question I'd like to throw out there from a spiritual point of view, from a Jewish point of view, is in our modern world today, is there value in the mon- or a monarchy? Now, you've got to be careful to say the monarchy, because, of course, We tend to think of the monarchy specifically in the British context, but obviously there are other monarchies around the world. So let's talk conceptually. Is there a place for monarchy, for the system of monarchy in our modern world? Because, you know, when you see what's going on now and you see all the allegations and I suppose stiff upper lip of the royals in their response. and, and, And when you think about the complexity of the British royal family that... Some personalities are very much in the public and others far less so. Some are very popular and some are not popular at all. So it's it's interesting just to, you know, look at it from various angles and perspectives and think, is this the beginning of the end? Now that I mean for years, for years the tabloids have played a very harsh game, I think, with the Royals exposes and um you know, this this need to try and keep the, the lion at bay and, and feed the tabloids what they want to hear without destroying yourself in the process. So it feels that for some time already there's been this woodpeckering away at the royal family. But now that there's a break, you know, this, this major break, is it the beginning of the end of the monarchy as we know it? And is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? Is it something that as Jewish people we support? Is it something we should be appalled by? What do we think of the concept of a monarchy? And I know what a lot of people are going to say. I can already imagine people are going to say, yes, but, yes, but they're not, they're not as they should be. Okay, that's fair. And we can talk about that. And you're certainly welcome to voice that view. The question I'm asking is perhaps specific and general all at the same time. So we can talk specifically about the current British monarchy, if you wish, 
Or we could talk, which I'd prefer to do, about the idea, the notion of monarchy, which seems to be cracking at some point. A society that definitely, I'm talking British society and even broader than British society, uh, including in, in our world, it was a certain fixation and maybe even a certain um, glorification of the royal family. So is that gone? Is that on its way out? Is that dying? And is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is it something that we should be concerned about? Does it have a lesson for us? I thought that would be interesting to talk about because as Jewish people, as I say, we're supposed to learn spiritual lessons from whatever is going on in the world around us. And there seems to be quite a lot going on in the world around us at this time. You know, I'll tell you the first thing that came to my mind, and I uh, see there's already a few responses coming through, which is great, and I'll share those with you. Hopefully that will stimulate a little bit further conversation. The first thing that popped into my mind, and not for the first time, I might, I might admit, uh, because previously there were other scandals, let's be honest, you remember the in the heat of the post-Diana's death days, there was all kind of allegations flying around and... You remember the stories, surely, with uh, Dodi Al-Fayed and the claims of, which, of course, till today, you'll have people who believe very strongly in conspiracy theories and those who feel very strongly that there was uh, nothing untoward and it was just an unfortunate accident. So already back then, it just reminded me the a story that Hasidim tell, that at the time of the Bolshevik Revolution, and you have to understand the context, to be a religious Jew in Tsarist Russia was not easy, not at all. There were pogroms, people were, children were taken at the youngest age and conscripted to the army, never seen from, heard from again, 20 odd years of, of national service. There was anti-Semitism at the highest levels of government. There were still blood libels in those days. You can imagine that a good many Jewish people were happy to see the Tsar go and to welcome what looked like new blood and the, the communist regime. And, well, at that point, nobody knew of it as a regime. The communist movement that seemed to be much more interested in equality. And it was interesting that at the time of the Bolshevik uprising, there were Hasidim who said, you know, the pity is that now without the Tsar, we have lost that tangible metaphor for the concept of Malchus, royalty, which is such a central concept in Judaism. We speak about God as a king. And we speak about the concept of spiritual dynamics and spiritual energies. And the energy responsible for keeping this world alive is an energy called Malchus, which is royalty. So there was a sense of we've lost that. We've lost that tangible metaphor that we could use in conversation and say, you see, that's how kings are. There's no question about it that the Tsar of Russia and the modern day royal family were two very different realities. And the Zohar had absolute power, and today's royal family is very largely figurehead, no, no executive power in the classical sense of a monarch. But still, the point is an interesting point, and it's def definitely something that uh, deserves to be discussed in the course of this conversation. In fact, uh, here's Yossi, who said exactly that. He said that the value of the monarchy is to help us to understand principles in Hasidic philosophy, right? Royalty as a principle is something that that does occupy a lot of space, quite a central theme, actually. And if you think about it, even historically, you know, we did have kings, we did have a royal family in, the, in Jewish history, and even Moses himself is referred to in the Torah as a king. So I suppose it's unrelatable for us to think of great kings of the past if we didn't have a monarch in the present. So maybe there's a value in that, just to be able to contextualize our own um, 
our own history, uh, our own background, our own Jewish people. Very, very interesting. Definitely interesting. Okay, I see some people are saying, <laughs> got some, <laughs> some cannot be repeated on air. Let's put it that way. Some of the comments that are coming through. Um, I'll just give you the adjective absolute and then I'll leave out the noun. Absolute, you know what? That's what somebody says about the monarchy. Somebody over here says a big no. No, not relevant. No value in the modern world. Big no. Okay, so I didn't, ex I, I didn't expect otherwise. Here's somebody else also says no, absolutely. No value to the modern world. Uh, okay, interesting. I wish people would give a little bit more information than just saying a yes or no answer, but still it's something to get the conversation going. Here's, uh, oh, here's somebody on Twitter, Dove, says, uh, no, not this bunch. They don't have the same clout. It's just a family receiving government handouts. So I suppose if that is the case, and I don't want to get into the politics of it, but if that is the case, if it just turns into a top-heavy expense for the British populace, then maybe there's no value. But if that's all it is, I don't know if that's all it is. I think if you had to speak to British people, many, maybe even most, would tell you, you know, it's quite a central part of their whole culture, the royal family. It's a massive part of the culture. Not to mention, of course, the benefit to tourism, <laughs> Uh, let's be honest, not maybe at the moment with COVID, but generally speaking, to be able to have all of those people who come and, and, and there, there must be a financial implication. There must be some economic benefit to the monarchy, not just simply living off the taxes. So but I'm interested more from a spiritual perspective, really. I mean, we could debate this from a political perspective and if, you know, if it's expedient or if it's something that's had its past its sell by date, it's not really what I'm, uh, what I'm interested in. This is fresh thinking, right? We focus on spirituality. So let's talk, let's try as best as we can from a spiritual perspective to try and understand if there is a value in a monarchy and if it's something that we should be concerned about, that it seems to be disrespected in the public eye. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's have a look and see what everybody thinks about that. As mentioned, you can use Twitter at ChaiFM at Rabbi Shish. You can use our Facebook page, the ChaiFM Facebook page. You could SMS on 34519 or you could use Telegram on 0618951019. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Oh yes, of course you can expect that there are going to be those people with a sense of humor. My question today that we're discussing is, is there a value in our modern world to having a monarchy? And that's because of what's going on, I suppose, right now with all the upset from Harry and Meghan against the royal family. So the question is, from a spiritual perspective, is there value to a monarchy from a spiritual perspective? As I said, some people definitely do have a, uh, a sense of humor. So here's somebody, the, I, I read you the tweet where this individual Dove said, it's just a family receiving government handouts. Well, Yossi disagrees on Twitter. He says he has deep respect for the monarchy, which is very nice. Uh, but here's the funny part. Uh, Zalman says... This post has been reported to the Home Office. Anti-monarchist foreigners are welcome to return home. <laughs> okay, it's always good to have a little bit of a laugh. My question is, as I said, of a spiritual nature, the question really is, does a monarchy have spiritual value? And does it have spiritual value in today's world? Uh, yes, says Martin. The best ruler a nation could ever hope for is a benevolent king, which is far better than a democracy. 
So is that a spiritual answer? I think it might be something which is aligned with Judaism because, of course, we do know that in Judaism there is the notion of a king. So that implies that a king is a, an appropriate and, and maybe even an ideal form of government. But I like Martin's point. It's a benevolent monarchy. See, I think the problem that many people have with monarchies over the course of history and the reason why democracies prevailed over monarchies is because all too often those monarchs were dictators. And that's never good. That's never healthy. Unfortunately, even in our own backyard, if you go back and you read the history of the Jewish people, we do know that the ideal of a king was not always lived up to by the kings. So a benevolent monarch sounds very attractive, as Martin says, and perhaps resonates strongly with what Judaism's view of a government is. It's interesting. Kevin says it's a cultural issue. There's a lot of history tied to the monarchy that needs to be protected in Judaism, we do the same. Our history is part of us. Now, that, that's so interesting because at the end of the day, if, if it is true that something no longer has a value, does that mean that it never had a value? So you think about history. You think about us as a Jewish people and how centrally we retain the stories of our history, the uh, processes of our history, the personalities of our history, the systems of our history. So if you talk about the monarchs of our history, yes, we have not had a monarchy now for, what, <laughs> over 2,000, close to 2,500 years, no monarchy. So yet we still talk about it, yet we still celebrate King David as a personality. Yes, and as Saul says over here, uh, he, making fun of me, I guess, Saul says, this coming from a guy who prays for the return of a monarchy. Yes, Saul, and so do you. <laughs> because think about it, in, in Jewish liturgy, that is what we pray for. We pray for Moshiach, which is effectively praying for return of a monarchy. That's interesting in its own right. But I think Kevin's point is a different point, that history can't be unwritten, and it should be uh, acknowledged for its values. It doesn't mean that history is perfect. You've got to be really careful, you know, because people... People want us uh, very often in various societies to change the way that we learn history, which is probably a good thing. But you've got to be careful about rewriting history because the fact is that it happened. And the fact is that history is never black and white. They are good and bad to all the different components of history. And perhaps the monarchy had failing and perhaps at the same time the monarchy also had benefits. It's a good point. It's definitely, definitely something to think about. And I like the way that he says, like in our history as Jewish people, we uh, definitely consider our history to be part of us, part of us, not just, uh, you know, something that we read about. Uh, Elizabeth says on Twitter that the monarchy is part of our history, and it is sad that allegations are accepted as fact without question. Okay, it's a good point. Good point, because at the end of the day, um, you know, allegations fly in today's world. It's quite easy for a person to to get airtime for allegations because... We all have access to social media because the media is hungry for that kind of a story. So it's a, it's a really good point. Again, I don't think we should debate here in this forum the, the value or otherwise of the allegations that are being made. My question is more broad. question is whether the monarchy has a value in today's world. And if it does actually have a value in today's world, what is that spiritual value? So let's ask that question. What could the spiritual value of a monarchy be in this in today's world. Uh, Chaim says if there was a real monarchy, and then he says they've all been murdered and replaced. Sure, there's uh, okay. I don't want to get into conspiracy theories over here, but what would constitute a real monarchy? 
for talking from a Jewish perspective, from a spiritual perspective, what is considered a real monarchy? Interesting question. Um, here's uh, okay. Here's an interesting one. Well, I think somebody actually said a similar thing, but this is uh, I, I don't know if this is supposed to be Anna Marie or Anami. I don't know how, if it's spelled correctly via SMS. Says I'm not a royalist, but the British monarchy still brings in millions in revenue from tourism. People want to see the castles, the Queen, etc. Not to mention, not to mention, I'm sure that there's a fair amount in terms of media that makes money off the monarchy. Think of all those um, those royal focused um, magazines that they have in the state in, in the UK. And the various TV programs, what was that? There was a program that came out recently on Netflix, wasn't there? That was based on this, the life of Queen Elizabeth. So, the, yeah, absolutely. As an economic spinner, it's definitely good. Here's another SMS, unfortunately anonymous, says, We need leaders. Even our gov current governments are not perfect. Who is guiding the leaders? That is the issue. That's such a great point. You know that? Because you can go and scream and shout about how bad the monarchy is and they, they, they have this colonialist tendencies or colonialist history and the racism in the monarchy and the fact that they're not accepting of people and they're not willing to change and they live in ivory towers and they milk the, 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 the nation. And then you have to ask yourself the question, well, is it necessarily different with uh, any other form of government? I mean, let's be honest, governments are not perfect. Really are no perfect government. But I love this question. Who is guiding the leaders? Because, you know, if you go back historically and you look at the monarchies in Judaism. So there was the monarchy of King Saul, which was a little bit questionable. And perhaps we should talk about it. And then you have the monarchy of King David and his descendants. What you see is that the setup was very interesting. There was a there was a diversification of power. So, yes, of course, the monarch was the supreme leader. But... There was an independent legislature, that's clear, So, an independent judiciary. The Sanhedrin had to be independent of the king. There's a whole question whether or not the king could be brought before the courts. And it's interesting that somebody like the Rambam would point out, it depends on the king. If the king would not respect the courts, then we don't drag the king in front of the courts because the whole thing would be a farce. And then, of course, the most important thing is that the king always had to listen to and be guided by the prophet of the time. So that was a great question about who guides the leaders. Unfortunately, it would appear that in today's world, it's very common for leaders to climb the ladder and get to positions of leadership, perhaps not always as qualified as they should be, and worse than that, not necessarily taking guidance from the right people. That was a very good point, and I think it's something that surely needs further discussion and further, um, further analysis. Love to hear your views and opinions on this from a spiritual point of view, not just because of what's popular in the media right now or from a political point of view, but from a spiritual point of view. Does a monarchy have a value? Does it have a value in today's world? This is Fresh Thinking. You are with Rabbi Shishla. We're together until 3 o'clock talking today about the monarchy. The monarchy's under fire. That's the reality. And I don't think it's just about Harry and Meghan. I think there are many people who are disgruntled and feel this is an institution that has long passed its sell-by date. And it's time to dismantle this overbearing institution. Well, what is Judaism? Well, what would Judaism say? Would Judaism be in favor of a monarchy? Perhaps not so much this specific British monarchy, but conceptually the monarchy. We had some really good points. Uh, some people saying, yes, it's the metaphor for deep principles in Jewish mysticism, and it would be a pity to lose that metaphor. Uh, somebody who didn't sign the name on the SMS said it had a great question. Who guides the leaders? That's actually the issue. Who guides the leaders? All very well for a person to be a leader, but 
who is guiding them. Mike says on Telegram, from the beginning of Jewish monarchy, there have been Tsuris. Was it not Shmuel, the prophet, who warned that because they chose a king over God, they would suffer in the future? Maybe the destruction of monarchies would bring the return of a, to a higher power. It's an interesting one, and I'm going to just share with you, because somebody sent a similar message, and that was uh, Austin's message where he said, if I could just find it, didn't God say that the monarchy was bad when the Israelites demanded a king? And that, of course, refers to the same period of history that Mike is talking about over here, which is the period of King Saul. And we really should look at that. There you have it. Isn't it black and white? Bad thing. When the Jews came to the prophet Samuel and said, we want a king, Samuel was very taken aback, and he wasn't happy about it at all. And then God says to Samuel, don't take it personally. It's not you, the prophet, that they have rejected. It is me, God, who they have rejected. Now, that would seem to imply that monarchies are not good, after all, right? God says it's not a good thing. It's a, it's a rejection of God. So, there you go. Doesn't that put the last nail in the coffin of the argument in favor of a monarchy? Yeah, interesting point. Somebody also said earlier, Chaim said, I cringe when I hear the prayer for the royal family at Shul. Now, it's interesting because the Pritka Alves, Ethics of the Fathers, says clearly that we should pray for the well-being of, it says, Shloim Malchus. We should pray for the well-being of the monarchy. And yes, of course, you could interpret it also to mean government, but that seems to indicate that there is a value in the monarchy. And I don't see why we should cringe when we hear that prayer, because ultimately, at the end of the day, the prayer is for them to be worthy leaders. They're in the position, so let them be worthy leaders. But let's go back to this question, which uh, Mike and Austin both raised. Doesn't it appear that in the Torah itself, there is a feeling that monarchy is not necessarily a good thing? Let's balance that. Let's balance that with the fact that in the Torah, so the story with Samuel, of course, is in the book of Samuel, which is later on in the scriptures. If you go back to the original five books of the Chumash, and you look in the book of Deuteronomy, we have it very clearly, black and white. God says to Moshe to instruct the Jewish people, Soim tosim olecho melech, that you should appoint a king over you. And it's a double expression, Soim tosim. And the, the sages teach us that a double expression is always to emphasize and highlight the particular instruction, or in this case, the position, to teach us that that you should stand in awe of the king, not just have a king who is a figurehead, but you should actually stand in awe of the king. So it's, the surprise is not that there was a monarchy. The surprise is why Samuel said that the monarchy was a bad thing when Hashem had clearly already instructed it. So what was wrong with that? And the simplest answer, we, the, the layers to this answer, but the simplest answer is that when they came to Samuel insisting on having a king, they were very clear that they wanted to have a king to be like the other nations around them. Remember who the nations around them were in those days. I mean, these were the pagan, bloodthirsty, child-sacrificing nations of the Canaanites and the Moabites and the Girgashites and the, the Philistines. I mean, these were not exactly your most upstanding human beings. So to say we want a king like them, that's alarm bells right there. There is a king, a monarchy, in the way that the Torah expects it. And then there's a monarchy in the way that it played out in society. And I think that that was the issue with the approach to, kings, to, to the prophet Samuel. They said, we want a king like everybody else. That's bad. 
We should not want a king like everybody else. I think that's really where this whole conversation needs to go. What is a monarchy from a Jewish perspective? Because we know what a monarchy is from a contemporary perspective. We know it's a whole lot of hoity-toity individuals who you either love or hate. It's interesting because when you speak to British people, they can be very protective of the monarchy. In fact, Leia says exactly that here on Twitter. As someone who lives here, I can tell you that the Queen is basically the Rebbe of the British nation. It's unbelievable how deeply rooted the monarchy is in this culture. And it's basically vital for the, for the community. How's that? So I guess it really depends where you come from. Um, if it's a monarchy where the monarch is an individual who is ruthless, well, I don't think anybody would say that that's a good thing. But I want to share this with you. Such a fascinating tweet here from Abdullah, who I'm assuming lives somewhere in the Emirates because that's his Twitter handle, Emirati Patriot. He says, having people – listen to this carefully. I think it's such an interesting insight. Having people who are prepared from a young age to rule is better than having corrupt politicians who only recently entered office and don't know what they are doing. Monarchies tend to be more stable than republics. It's such an interesting point, the idea of grooming people for leadership, which perhaps is not the case in the, in the British monarchy, really, because they don't become the executive leaders of the country. But what an interesting point, that instead of just having a, an open democratic system where pretty much anybody who wishes to or has enough money to do so can get themselves into a... Um, <clears throat> That's so funny. Anyhow, sorry, off the topic. Uh, so people are just uh, keen to get themselves into a position of power, but don't necessarily have the credentials versus somebody who is trained and groomed from a very young age. Very, very interesting. Uh, very interesting point. And especially when it comes from somebody who obviously lives in a monarchy environment and, and apparently quite happy. I think that's our problem. We tend to think that monarchies only exist in the West and only in the history books. And that's not the case. There are other places in the world where there are very solid systems with a monarch. Very, very interesting. So from a Torah perspective, why why would there be a monarchy? And why, why would we want a monarch? I mean, surely it sounds like you're giving an individual too much power and too much potential for control. Maybe that's a bad thing. And uh, look at our history and you will see and we have to own it. We have to own the fact that the monarchy collapsed shortly after King Solomon and it became a divided monarchy. And then sometimes we had good kings and sometimes we had utterly corrupt kings. And we're not afraid to say it. We record it historically. So surely that indicates that a monarchy could be a good thing or could be a bad thing. And it's quite important to distinguish between when it is healthy and when it is aligned with spirituality and when not. Richard says, as long as the prayer for the royal family remains in our prayer book, we should abide until the Sanhedrin and Mashiach instigate new instructions. As Jews, we have an obligation to abide by the rule of the land. Okay, so of course that means that if you live in a monarch, uh, in, in, under a monarchy, you don't really have much choice to rebel against it uh, from a Jewish perspective. Okay, good point. Um, but let's, let's focus re rather on the spirituality. So what is the spiritual message of a monarchy? Why is it something that God instructed us to do? Which would imply that it is something that, uh, you know, we could relate to or should relate to or should have in our society. So it's interesting. What is the purpose? Let's put it that way. What is the purpose of a monarchy from a Jewish spiritual perspective? How's about you answer? How's about we answer that question together? Because that will obviously 
directly answer the question of whether a monarchy is relevant today or not. I'd love to hear, what would you say from a spiritual perspective? Why was there a king in Jewish history? 34519 via SMS. Otherwise, Telegram 0618951019. Keep those messages coming on Twitter and Facebook, the Facebook page of Chabad, uh, of Chabad of Chai FM, and Twitter at Chai FM and at Rabbi. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So today we're talking about the monarchy, because everybody cares about the monarchy, right? <laughs> Not everybody. Some people care very deeply about it. That's come across very clearly from the messages that we've received in the course of this conversation. And some people simply couldn't care less and think, no, it's time to go. Um, Mike saying over here, the kings in the Torah scripture were all against the Israelites. So to whom was Hashem referring when he told the people to appoint a king? That's not accurate, by the way, Mike. Um, because a number of the kings were actually incredibly focused, well-intentioned, spiritual, great people. King David, King Solomon, King Chizkiyahu. Um, and again, there were plenty of kings who were not at all, who really did terrible things. When God was referring in the scripture to having a king, he was talking about a king who's supposed to be aligned with what the Jewish principle of a king is. And that's exactly my question. Why? Why is there such a thing as a king um, in, in Judaism? And why is there a monarchy? So I'll tell you an interesting thing, just an interesting little observation. And sometimes you have to look a little bit beyond the direct scriptures and look into what our sages teach about those scriptures in order to understand what, in fact, the message is. So you know that we daven, part of the prayer service that we have is called Amidah. And during the Amidah, you're supposed to stand your feet together and you say it silently because this is a moment of intimacy between you and God. And twice at the beginning of the Amidah and twice at the end of the Amidah, we are required to bow. So uh, three out of those four times, you bend your knees, and then you bow forward, and then you straighten up. When you say the words, Baruch, Atah Hashem, blessed are you, God, so blessed you bend your knees, Atah, you bow, and when you say God's name, you straighten up. And the fourth opportunity is when we say Moedim, when we say we give gratitude to God for all the good things that He's done for us, then we just simply bow over. Now, it's as important as it is to bow, it is equally important for a person to then stand up again after they have bowed, except, except for the king. So when there was a king in, in Jewish history, it was a requirement for the king that when he got to that point in the Amidah where you bow, he had to remain bowed for the rest of the prayer, all the way to the end. And it's a fairly long prayer. It's all of 19 blessings, so it could take a bit of time. And you have to ask yourself the question, why? What, what was the purpose of that? Because remember, if there's a different rule for a per, one person than there is for the next person, it's because there's something something to do with their position, something to do with their, their role in the society, something to do with how they're supposed to connect to the experience. And the reason it's given for it is because exactly opposite to how we normally understand the monarchy, the Jewish monarchy is built on a tremendous sense of not just humility, but rather total submission to God. So I'm not saying the wrong people didn't get into that position. They did. But the idea of a monarchy in Judaism is that there should be an individual who sits at the top, not power-wise, but spiritually. Somebody who sits at the top of the community. Somebody who is there for us to emulate. In fact, a Jewish king is meant to be an individual who is so spiritually focused and so submissive to God that you feel all you wish is that you could be like them. That you could emulate them. So King David would have been a great example of that. And I know some people have a difficult time because there were certain chapters of King David's story that feel a little controversial. We can deal with that another time in, a, in full discussion. But suffice it to say this, that in all classical Jewish literature, King David's behavior is explained very much in the context of being exactly where he needed to be 
and doing exactly what he needed to do. So it, it really subject for another conversation. And the same applies to King Solomon. Unfortunately, after King Solomon, there was the break in the kingdoms. And that's where the, the wheels started to come off. And you had people who were not supposed to be in the position. But the ideal, the notion of a monarchy, is to have an individual who is not the supreme leader of the country necessarily. Yes, of course, he has very great um, executive powers. But at the end of the day, there is an advisory team. There is the prophet, and he has to listen to the prophet. That was actually the downfall of King Saul. He had a directive from the prophet at the time, Samuel. He didn't follow the directive to the letter, and because of that, he lost his position. Because that's not a king. A king cannot make a decision that, that uh, crosses swords with the prophet at the time. A king cannot make a decision that is not aligned with exactly what it is that God wants. So to us, the monarchy is meant to be, yes, of course, the, the, the monarchy can be used as a metaphor for a whole lot of different Jewish concepts and mystical concepts. But the monarchy in Judaism is supposed to be the most incredible people, the ultimate role models of everything that Judaism is supposed to represent. And when that doesn't happen, we have a very serious problem. And we, we possibly have to do whatever we need to to get rid of such a monarchy. But the, the ideal of a monarchy is most certainly meant to be uh, this incredible human being who we look to. And we want to follow the, this individual's directives. Not because we feel if we don't, there'll be consequences and not because we're afraid of the power that he wields, but simply because that is what it should be to be Jewish. That's that's how we should want to be. There's an expression that we use about the king, that the king is Eino Lov, Elo Hashem Eloikov, that the definition of a king in Judaism is an individual who recognizes that I have, I'm answerable to only one, and that is to God, and not even to myself. In fact, on the contrary, my own personal interests are on hold in order to be a king. It's not just being like a civil servant or a public servant. It's about uh, it's about the, the the total dedication to God. That's what a king is supposed to be. So is a monarchy relevant in today's world? Well, it would depend. If the monarchy is just a money spinner for the country – or if the monarchy makes people feel good about their own culture, I don't know if that's good enough as a reason to maintain a monarchy. If a monarchy keeps a sense of law and order and a sense of respect, well, then, as the sages tell us in the Ethics of the Fathers, pray for the well-being of the monarchy because that will keep us in a sense of respect. And I fear that that might be a lot of what's going on right now is this, this collapse of societal structures. You know, where once upon a time there used to be a natural sense of respect and a natural sense of hierarchy. And that seems to be eroding quite rapidly in today's world. It's like and anything goes and anybody has an opinion. Reminds me of the, what the tourists say, what the scriptures say in the book of, of Judges, where it says each person did as they felt was right in their own eyes. Well, we have a word for that. It's called anarchy. So that, that, that's a concern, right? There's a value of a monarchy in terms of keeping the balance and hierarchies of society and keeping a society healthy. But that requires a healthy monarchy in order to be able to do so. And I really like that point that Abdullah said earlier about having to, you know, when you have people who are groomed for a position of leadership, it's very different to, have, to when you have people who have a personal, dare I say, ego-driven ambition to want to be in charge, right? And, you know, that could end up in all kinds of bad places. 
So the goal of the Jewish monarch is to be somebody who represents everything that is right, everything that is holy, everything that is altruistic, everything that is aspirational. And he's completely focused on Einalav. He has nothing else but God above him. It's quite interesting because like that crown that sits on top of the head of the king, while on the one hand, obviously, it advertises his position to the community. On the other, it's heavy <laughs> to wear a crown. And that's part of what it's supposed to represent, that heavy responsibility of being aware of what's above me, who's above me, and who I am answerable to. A couple other interesting messages coming through. We'll see if I'll have the opportunity to get through them all. Um, but we're talking monarchy. We're talking about the spiritual significance of the monarchy. It's a very interesting conversation. Thank you for all of your engagement and interaction. I'll try and get to all the messages in the last few minutes of the show. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. All right, so uh, there's a lot to discuss, I guess, once you start talking about the monarchy and whether we need one. But from a Jewish perspective, we know very well that we are davening every single day. We pray for the coming of Moshiach. And Moshiach is a monarch in the classical sense. Somebody here pointed out, Paul pointed out that Moshiach, according to Maimonides, will be a dynasty, not just an individual. Of course, that's a very interesting conversation in its own right. What exactly is Moshiach's role and how does it happen? But the point is, we definitely look forward to, um, as Martin said earlier, a benevolent monarchy. But it's not good enough for the monarch to be benevolent. The monarch has to be absolutely dedicated and focused on God. And that has to be what informs his leadership. And that's when a person is suitable to be a monarch. So perhaps what we have today is not exactly of that uh, nature and caliber. So perhaps if there's a collapse of our current monarchy, maybe it's not such a bad thing. And uh, Mark again on Telegram says, in Judaism, the king has his own copy of the Torah written as a guideline and looks higher towards God. And it's not necessarily that way in the rest of the world. Exactly right. And, and that's a, I'm glad you mentioned, I should have mentioned that earlier, that in Judaism, the king has to walk wherever he goes with a Torah scroll. As a reminder, it's not your gig, hey? You're here to serve God. That's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be bringing the people closer to God. If you're not up to that particular task, you're not the right person for the position. So in Judaism, a monarchy is very much a means of creating spiritual connection, much more than a means of allowing a person this incredible power over the community. In fact, on the contrary, you'll notice that our classic monarch of all, King David, was an individual who was overlooked by society initially. He was even overlooked by his own family. Because he is not a person who's got this ambition of one day I'm going to be president of this country. Wasn't his ambition. His ambition was to live a life of submission, of humility. And that's exactly what we're looking for in a monarch. That's the problem. Unfortunately, with the monarchies of today, I suppose, at least in the, uh, in the um, theoretical sense, it's people looking for power. And maybe that's not only monarchs. Maybe that's also in the world of politics, as somebody said earlier. I don't remember exactly who it was. So what's the message for us? Take home message. Well, if we're watching the collapse of a monarchy, I'm not saying that that has happened yet, but it could be. could be the first cracks. Certainly the parting of uh, Harry and Meghan from the official royal titles and royal position, that is a crack in the monarchy. It's probably not the first time that that's happened. We've had abdications in the past. But the criticism, that's this groundswell of criticism against the monarchy, that might bode negatively for the future of a monarchy. And it just, to me, reminds me of this. If you have a look in the Talmud, it says that before the coming of Moshiach, there will be a societal collapse. It talks about the fact that there'll be a tremendous disrespect to authority, a tremendous disrespect within families, where children will rise up against their parents 
and children-in-law will rise up against their parents-in-law. And the famous mystic, the Maharal of Prague, says that the reason for the societal collapse before the Messianic age is because when something radically new is about to happen, the old system has to first crack in order for the new system to emerge. It's like a seed that has to break before the plant can grow. And he says that because the ultimate monarch of all is going to be Moshiach, who's going to teach us how monarchy should be to the absolute benefit of every single one of us, so the structures of the existing monarchies will collapse before that happens. Interesting times that we are living through. Thanks for all the insights. I hope that you um, have a lot to think about and to talk about because whatever happens in our world is there to teach us a spiritual lesson, and that's how we should view it. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We're coming up for Rosh Chodesh. It's the beginning of the month of Nisan this coming Sunday. Nisan is a month of miracles. Nisan is the month where historically Hashem liberated us from all the most difficult challenges that we went through as an early nation. Please God, He should emancipate us from the challenges we're going through now. And we should see the ultimate monarch, Mashiach himself, right at the beginning of this month of Nisan.